Steve, a rare week for us. Maybe the first time ever we've had two episodes in one week. Um, but we're getting we, paid twice as much. Yeah, that's right. We are getting paid twice as much. Okay, good. All zero dollars and zero cents. Um, but we've got we've we've got a big week. We of course launched the blog this week, but we also have our probably kind of maybe our most asked for guest. Um, a couple of people have asked when when she's going to be on. Audrey Snyder joined us today um, to discuss a lot of things um, that I think was one of our interesting interviews. We, you get to hear, you know, I think one of the main points is about her relationship with James Franklin and, and kind of, you know, what that's like. The other big thing that you, we get to hear about is this wrestling story that she's been working on um, that's coming to the athletic very soon, which I'm very excited about. Um, anything else you want to add before we start talking no, to Audrey? Good, good insights on the program and what she does. Uh, worth a listen. Cool. Go ahead and take a listen to that. Steve, we, we have had plenty of guests on our podcast, but I think the, the number one most requested guest is this person that's joining us today. Audrey Snyder, welcome to the Stuff Summer Says podcast with Steve. How are you? I'm good. I, I guess all these other guests, I don't know, man. It must be, must be a rough, rough show if I'm the most asked for. I don't know. No, people, people want to hear from Audrey. That's, that's the main thing. The main thing that I want to hear from about Audrey is scale of one to 10. How excited are you for a Wawa in state college? 12. That's the, yeah. Which, which also aligns with like everything being 12 minutes from my house in state college. Like I swear everything it's like, Oh, grocery store, 12 minutes, this 12 minutes, stadium, 12 minutes. Wawa will also be 12 minutes. So very, very excited. I actually, I had heard that rumor back in the fall i had heard it and i got very excited and it turned out it was actually true because the rumor the location all of it ended up being accurate i'm very happy for you even though i'm an altoona boy and i'm a sheets boy i'm i'm very happy for you because i know how passionate you are about well and here's the thing that i find fascinating is like not only are they entering the region with like the location in belfont but you're putting it right across from sheets and rudders. Like nothing says welcome to the region. Like, boom, here we are, you know, like super pumped about that. Yeah. I live in Frederick, Maryland, and this is one of the few places in the country where they all coexist, so to speak. Yeah. Um, So definitely the privileged life. Um, Anyways, that's enough about regional gas stations. Gas station Um, wars. Yeah. That's what we talk about on this podcast. You could go a lot deeper though, right? Because there's all the, all the drama there. Come on. Right. Like, they build those because the 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 rumors right are that the Wawa the, the gentleman's agreement Belmont, right right they violated the gentleman's agreement so Rudders popped in there by that that sheets right so it's just it's great stuff it's great drama if people would actually really admit it it'd be great content you know it'd be oh, wonderful yeah, yeah it's a- actually something I had thought about writing during COVID when there was like really not much to write about I was like oh you know I wonder like is this kind of <laughs> weird like maybe you know but we never never got to it. Uh, is, Maybe now's uh, the time. The content that came out of COVID was what a what a time yeah. what a time. Um, all right, we we ha- we're having you on this week. Um, there's plenty to ask about. I think the thing that we're going to focus in on, maybe away from the X's and O's of Penn State football, it's March. You do you probably haven't gleaned that much information more than the the, the common man. Um, I want to talk about your career your trajectory, uh, your path and, you know, how things are going for you, you know, professionally, let's, let's start there. How is the athletic different than any of the other places that you've worked at? So little background. So I graduated from, which you guys know this, I graduated from Penn state in 2012. Um, nothing was happening here around them. Mm -hmm. Palm times, nothing, nothing going on. Um, but then I went from, Penn State to Penn Live, and then was at Penn Live for like two, two and a half years. Went from there to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, then from there to DK Pittsburgh Sports. Then for a hot second, I worked at DK Pittsburgh Sports and Land of Ten, RIP, since oh, I really forgot about that. Um, then went from Land of Ten to the Athletic, and then I've been at the Athletic for almost five years, right? So super weird roundabout journey, all of that primarily covering Penn State. 
Um, I've always been based in state college, which is the other part that like, you know, you never kind of like never in my wildest dreams was like, oh yeah, I'm going to live in state college for a dozen years or whatever it's been. Right. Like you just don't, don't think like that. Um, but the thing that makes the athletic different is like, we're my job, especially is more so long form storytelling and we'll do like the day-to-day beat stuff, right? Like James Franklin talks spring press conference. Like I'm going to write off of that because it's news. We haven't heard from him. Um, but I also get the chance to do some of those longer stories, which like, you know, back in the newspaper days, we used to be like, oh, it's the Sunday takeout or like the big A1 story. Uh, but we do that pretty consistently. And so like, to me, that's like the fun part, right? Like we'll cover recruiting, but we'll do it at a level that's different. Like we've done a lot of recruiting confidentials. Um, we'll talk to prospects about different aspects of their recruitment and how is a certain school pitching NIL? Are they not? Um, where a lot of the places I had worked, and this isn't a knock on them, like this is the industry as a whole, you just felt like that continuous, like I got to turn out content, I got to pump out content. Um, you know, we hear this saying all the time, feed the beast. And it's true. I mean, and, but the other side of this is that Penn State fans are rabid. So the more you give them, the more they want because they just can't consume enough content. Uh, so that's where like, we're always trying to strike that balance of, doing the long form stuff, but also mixing in the daily stuff, you know, the spring ball previews and takeaways and all that. Um, But yeah, it's hard and, you know, trying to strike that balance then kind of gets thrown in season where it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to do five things this week and then news breaks, right? Or five things and then this guy's hurt or whatever. Um, So I think that's what makes us different. I hope that's what makes us different because, you know, there are so many Penn State sites and I feel like, and we talk about this amongst ourselves a lot, like, we all kind of serve the audience a little bit differently. Um, like, I think my job is different than what the recruiting sites do and their job is different than what the local newspaper does. Um, and there's just a lot of that. And I think it's good because fans, you know, can, can take and choose what they want. With that, do you, what was that kind of first time where you're like, I don't have to write today. Like I can take a breath today. What was that like for you? Was that kind yeah. of game changing? Yeah, no, it was, I felt like when I got to the athletic, it was kind of like, okay, I can breathe for a second, but I can think. And I think that's the part of this too, where, you know, you do the beat stuff, you do the day-to-day stuff for so long that you're like, can I just get a second to think here? Like, what do I really want to write? Um, what story do I want to write two weeks from now, a month from now? Like I've always, and this has been wherever I've worked, like I'd keep a running list of your story ideas I want to work on. And it's hard when you have that list, then you've got all the day-to-day stuff you have to do, right? So especially early on in my career, like I won't, I won't sugarcoat and be like, oh yeah, I was working five days a week. No, I was working seven days a week. Um, And that's just kind of when you're starting out, it's like, well, somebody has to do it, right? Kid commits on a Saturday or a Sunday in the summer, like you're the low man on the totem pole. So you're the one writing it, you know? Um, But in order to kind of carve out the time to work on those longer takeout stories that I wanted to do, like that's the reason why I got into this industry was for those stories. You know, you had to work seven days a week because it's like I can't get everything done that I need to do and then take the time to do the other stuff. So, yeah, having the time now um, has been great. Like the off season, I mean, we'll still we'll do a lot of day-to-day stuff, but like one of the things I've been working on for the last month that we're actually going to run this week is a big Penn state wrestling Kale Sanderson story. And that's one of those things that like, it takes a lot of time that I don't think the average reader maybe understands it. And I don't expect that they would because this isn't their realm, but when you're immersing yourself in a story like that, and like, you know, I know I know some wrestling and I've covered it on and off over, you know, over the years, but not at a depth of like that I needed to know it. So you're, man, I've consumed so much Kale Sanderson content like the last month, month and a half, because you're trying to learn as much as you can about the guy, because then you're asking him questions and you don't want to sound like an idiot and not know anything about him. But um, so all of that stuff, and then starting to report out a story and hone in on your angle. And then it kind of stalls out for a while. Like, Sometimes it might take a month or two, you know, to get a product that you're, that you're happy with. So like I turned in a copy to my editors and I think it was like 3,300 words and we're trying to get it down to like 26, 2,800 and we're getting there. But like all this past weekend, I was tinkering with that story because you want to get it right. Do you work 
this is going to sound like a dumb question because I think I know the answer, but do you work nine to five? Like, do you wake up in the morning and, and then I stop at five o'clock or are you just kind of always on, yeah. even if that's your, you know, it's, the athletics pr- approach? It's in the off season. It's definitely, it's more of a nine to five in theory, right? I mean, stuff happens. That's kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here now scrolling like, oh, are they going to name a D-line coach or not? Um Mostly nine to five in the off season, or I try to make it nine to five, but in season, man, it is just, it's chaos. And that like, but this, it's fun chaos, right? Cause it's like, oh, Hey, in season, I'm off on a Friday, technically kind of, but I'm traveling to another big 10 school and maybe right. I'm doing radio hit when I'm there. Um, a lot of this past season was I'm on the road, but I'm reporting out those longer stories for next week. So Friday, I was doing a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with the game and everything to do with future stories. Um, I remember being in my hotel room. It was the Rutgers weekend and calling people about the land grant trophy. And here I am on like a Friday night and I'm like, what am I doing? But it's like, I can talk to this person. They can talk now. Um, so here we are on a Friday night. But yeah, I try to keep it nine to five in the off season. But I mean, Penn State hoops this week. I'm going to have to watch, right? And I won't get to bed till midnight and that'll be, that'll be interesting. In terms of, of, you mentioned the audience and the difference between you, who you're serving and who some other folks might be serving. How do you gauge success or what are you worried about? I mean, like the athletic has, you know, time on a story. I'm sure you can see mm-hmm. and my little reaction at the bottom of the story and whatever mm-hmm. else, what kind of things do you worry about? Or once the story's filed and it's good and you're happy with it, are you happy? Are you ever happy with it? Right? I think that's the question. Um, like I'll, I'll go back and I'll look at stuff um, that I wrote a while ago. And I did this, gosh, I forget what in the world I was doing the other day, but there was something I wrote. Oh, I know what it was. I was looking at something for Joey Porter for a draft preview. And I pulled up a story that I wrote about him like three or four years ago. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember writing this, but like, you're so busy. I was like, Oh, let me reread this. Cause I, and like, there's certain little things you pick up that you're like, Oh yeah, I, I forgot about this anecdote about him or whatever. Like, Oh yeah, I might be able to use that anecdote in this story. Um, but I, yeah, so I don't think you're ever really satisfied with, it. I mean, there's certain ones, of course, and you guys know this, that, you're happier about certain stories than others. Like there's the run of the mill stuff that we all have to do that we all have to write. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's like that tinkering of here's a story, here's an idea. And this is something I don't, because when I talk to a lot of classes or even my own students, like oftentimes they're like, well, who tells you what to write? And I'm like, well, most of the time, nobody does. Like that's where you have to generate your own ideas And, you know, sometimes I'll get, hey, we need you to write this, or what do you think about this idea? But more often than not, you know, it's you have to generate your own ideas, and you're only as good, I think, as your ideas. Um, And so that, to me, is is the challenge. And what was the other part of your question, Steve? You said, are you ever happy? Happy, I guess, success. I think you're adjusted. I think, yeah. Yeah. So, so so the kale story, right? Like, you're, with football, you're immersed. Yeah. Knee deep, chest deep, over your head. With with kale, it's you spent time with it, but you're kind of parachuting in. Oh, for sure. Different piece. So what are your concerns and challenges with that? Because wrestling fans, you know, there's those rabid Penn State sports fans and then there's rabid Penn State wrestling fans, right? So yeah. in terms of telling that story in a way that people are going to say, oh, okay, I learned something. Or, oh, I got a little more out of this or a little more depth. Like, what? I'm not trying to get the story, but what, what are you trying to accomplish with something like that when it's a little different that way? Yeah, I'll give you a good tease. Um, it So... Essentially, and so the thing that always interested me with with this was, you know, I, I vaguely remember I was a student when Kale Sanderson was hired in 2009. And, you know, even if you're not a huge wrestling person, I think, you know, you know of the guy, right? Like, you know, a little bit of the background, the undefeated college career, the Olympic medal, all that stuff. Um, but to me, it's like, okay, everyone knows that or should know that. The angle that I always found really interesting, and this is something I did it with James Franklin a few years ago, uh, looking at coaching searches and how did it come together? And again, from like the outsider, non-big wrestling person from that perspective, it's like, how the hell did Penn State pull this off? Because here's this guy that, you know, you assumed he was going to stay at Iowa State forever. How did they get Kale Sanderson? And was there ever any doubt that they would get him? Like, what was that search like? So 
that's the premise of my story is the 13 days for the coaching search that brought him here. And there are some crazy turns. I think Penn State fans are going to be surprised, um, even if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, because I've kind of flown it by some of those people on the wrestling beat and said, hey, like, you know, I read a lot, but I want to make sure I didn't miss something. Like, did you know this or did you know that? And they didn't. And um, I was able to get some cooperation from Kale, which was great. He is, has some fantastic details in there that are things that only he would know from that time period and that time frame. Um, so I ended up talking to about a dozen, probably 10 or 12 people um, throughout the course of a month and just trying to nail down as many details as possible. And I think even if you are, you know, that hardcore wrestling person, like you're going to find something different about this, this story and about this search. And I think the thing that's interesting too is, you know, Kale's always pretty kind of guarded. So any insight you can get into the guy, I think is super valuable. And, uh, but, but you use the phrase parachuting in Steven, it's so right because, uh, the wrestling beat folks, I went over to an availability two or three weeks ago and they all laughed. I'm like, Oh, here comes the athletic Audrey must be working on something. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cause we all throughout our career, we've all been there where it's like, Oh, Hey, this person's parachuting in. They've got the big story or for football would be like, Oh, ESPN's here. This guy's here. So it is kind of funny when you're that person. Cause I was like, no, I promise beat guys. Like I am not here to get like the nitty gritty X's and O's, you know, match breakdowns. Like it's something, um, it, it's something bigger picture. So, yeah. So I, I think they'll like it. We'll find out this week, I guess. Right. How do you, how do you reporting wise, how do you make time to get that right? Like they're trying there at this media village, like get X's and O's and talk about mm-hmm. nationals. You really don't care about that at all. I'm sure or probably. Right. So you're trying to find some other question and yeah. you got to get whoever you're talking to off their nationals Rolodex of mm-hmm. answers to get where you want to go. So, so were you happy with that process and how you got it done or, or what are the challenges when you have to yeah. do something like that? So I, so Kale Sanderson, what I found out, uh, which like make kind of makes sense, right? Like we know it's Penn state. We know Kale doesn't talk a ton in terms of like one-on-ones with people. Uh, but they were willing to, he doesn't do one-on-ones in season. So they were willing to have Kale exchange emails with me. And I was like, okay, this is interesting, but I don't, I mean, I covered NCAAs once when they were in, uh, in Madison Square Garden. I covered that. It was awesome. Like fantastic. But I'm like, I don't really know the guy. Like I could walk in the wrestling complex and he's not going to know who I am. Um, so I had to preface my questions and I, I thought in a way that was like, Hey, I talked to this guy about you and he said X and I talked like to try and show him like, Hey, I did my homework and went to him last where it was pretty much like I'd already talked to 10 people and then went to him and it was like, Hey, I found this out. Is this true? What can you tell me about this? What details do you remember about that? So we did that, but I also did show up to a few. They like, they do their weekly in-person availabilities and you're right because it's like, you know, they're all trying to get their beat stuff. And I like before the scrum even started, I said to the beat, because I know most, you know, most of these guys like, listen, I'm working on a story. I will wait until the end, but I'm going to come out of right field with stuff. And they're like, I don't know. You're fine. Like they were great about it. Um, And so I made sure they got what they needed and then asked like kind of the bigger picture legacy questions and this type of thing. And Kale was fantastic with it. Like he really, um, he knew that I was going to be there. So like, luckily he had a heads up. Cause otherwise it's like, what, you know, like what in the world is this person doing? So I think all in all it, it worked out. I mean, I think you'd always, for every story, you're always like, I wish I had more time with the main subject. But I think one of the things in like Penn state as a whole, you learn to report around stories and how to get to other people who, you know, because it's a challenge, you know, I think all of us are like, Oh yeah. If we sit down with an hour with our interview subject, it'd be great. That's not the reality of this job, you know, like, um, but yeah, I, I'm really, I'm happy with it. We're still tinkering with, with the story, but I do think it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. You mentioned it there. Uh, and as somebody that was on a beat, not the football beat, but even the hockey beat once yeah. that is kind of the struggle, the eternal struggle of a Penn state beat writer is, is how do I get something different that that person doesn't have so that you will read it? Uh, does a lot of that just come from these types of longer form stories for you? And, and how do you go about building those relationships so that, you know, when you ask that question, you aren't just getting that off, you know, that eh, eh, 
answer. You're getting a, a passionate, well, full, well thought out answer. Yeah. Well, I so I, I trailed Kel Sanderson after the availability this week. I went over to him and I was like, Hey, like, I just want to thank you. Like, you know, th- again, I'm, I'm Audrey in case you probably don't know who I am. Um, but like, thank you. Here's what I'm working on, whatever, just to make that connection. Cause I think that like the face-to-face stuff and showing up is so important. Um, and, and I always say with football, the challenge is there are what 50, 60 of, I mean, depending on the day of the game, um, you, you know, what point of the off season, what other sports are going on, there are a bunch of us. So how do you kind of, how do you set yourself off, but also know that Hey, you know, after a practice, James Franklin's only talking for 12 minutes and everybody's going to get the same stuff. So most of what I did last season was like completely away from the beat, which was kind of the first time we really did that. And so a lot of it was like, okay, he's talking Wednesday. If I need something, I'll go. Otherwise, like I'll go to practice, you know, tweet a couple things out or whatever. But I go into that setting knowing I'm probably not going to get much and if I do, everybody's going to tweet it, share it by the time like we walk out of flash. Uh, so that like it is hard. And I think you try to come up with ideas that are off the beaten path. And like a lot of what I did last year was pretty much like I needed for the most part, like zero or very little cooperation from Penn State. It was, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And like oh, well, right. Like I'll talk to other people. We'll do like the land grant trophies, just fun and quirky. Like we can do other things like that where you're not relying on kind of the same people and the same voices, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's that growing list of like, all right, what can we do? Who do we need cooperation from? Who realistically can we talk to? It's a challenge, no doubt. Let me, let me ask a question there. Um, what is your relationship with James Franklin like? What what is what is that like? We've we've heard from different beat writers on this podcast, you know, kind of how they approach James Franklin, but what is your your relationship with him like? Yeah, I think it's probably not a typical of like your head coach beat writer relationship, right? Like and I think this is probably what's always interesting for fans is like we're coming into this very much of like I'm here to do a job and I'm here to tell stories. And I know that sometimes you're going to ask questions that piss people off. Like that's the reality of being a beat writer, right? Like I tell my students all the time, I I said, you know, why do you want to go into this? Because you're going to piss people off and you're not going to make a bunch of money. And some days people are all going to hate you, right? Like, why do you want to do this? Oh, and you're working nights, weekends, and holidays. Um, But I think you have to be able to go about it in a respectful way. And like, I don't wake up in the morning and say, all right, well, how can I piss off Penn state today or whatever? Right. Like, that's not how this is. Um, It's a, Hey, I'm here to do my job. There are things I have to ask you. And I think too, like the more you show up to things, the more people respect it, whether it's, Hey, you might not agree with what I wrote, but if you do like, let's have a conversation about it or whatever. Like, I think that's kind of the, that's the beat writer coach relationship. And I feel like it's been the same with every, like now every football coach here has been different, right? I covered like a season and a half of Joe and all of O'Brien and now all of James, they all operate differently, but I think every relationship has had those same moments where like at sometimes they're going to be mad, right? Like I had it with Bill O'Brien. I remember he was really mad the one time after like an Ohio state game, they get smoked and he didn't like my question and like, whatever. Um, we all have those moments, but I think the thing where it's different is because James has been here for nine years, like you kind of get the, to have more of those moments maybe. Um, but I think that's just the, that's the reality of the job is you're trying to, you're trying to to do your job. You're trying to do it at a high level. And I think it, it has to, there has to be that give and take from both sides of like, Hey, if you didn't like what I did, like we can have a conversation about it. Um, and that's good, right? Like we're not, and this is the same thing with fans. Like we're not going to agree on everything. Like there's so many times we're sitting in a press box where like, I'll say something, a person three or four seats down says something else. Then it's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And it's like, we all see this thing differently, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the beauty of it, but yeah, it's, a the head coach beat writer relationship, I, I think is always fascinating wherever you are. And the other thing I will say 
that I think is, and it still blows my mind, right? But in what other industry is someone who's making millions of dollars have to answer to someone like me, right? Like, just think about that dynamic on the surface of it. Like, it's so bizarre, right? It's like, why the hell does, you know, the millionaire have to answer questions from Audrey and the beat, right? Like, it's just, and you see it obviously all the time in pro sports too. It's like, why does big time athlete have to deal with this reporter? Like, spoiler, we're not making millions. You're you got not? This. Yeah, we're, really? we're not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so that's, so I think it's a, it's always just that interesting dynamic. Um, no, that's, that's funny. Yeah. No, I, I have thought about that before too. Um, do you, uh, there's a couple other areas I want to, want to ask about. I think one of those is the beat. Um, when you look at the, the makeup of the beat, you are a bit of an anomaly. You are a woman. Uh, most of the beat writers are men. Yep. You are also probably now one of the stalwarts of of, of the, the beat as well. How has that changed over over time? Dude, you used to be intimidated when you would walk into a room and it was full of a bunch of old dudes asking questions to a, a football coach, or were you always, you know, right after it? No, it's for sure intimidating. Um, I remember one of like the first things I ever covered with football when I was a student at the collegian. I just remember walking into the media room and it was uh, like a summer press conference and it's like, you know, media day and like every seat is just about full. And it's like, holy shit, this is a lot of people, you know, and at the time I'm maybe 20 years old and, it, you know, so it's a lot of people. And I remember like, I would have to kind of force myself to be like, all right, I got to ask Joe Paterno a question. And like, that's intimidating when you're young, especially. And like, you know, here I am asking a question in a, to a guy who's 80 some years old on a beat where some of these people have been covering this team longer than I've been alive. Like that is a hundred percent intimidating. And so I always like, whenever there's, you know, student reporters on the beat, like I empathize with them because I'm like, I remember what that was like. Um, and luckily Lori Shantz was, was on the beat at the time. And so I'd always see Lori at games and stuff. So there was at least another female there. And Lori's a great friend, mentor of mine, but there just weren't like, there were not, there weren't other women beat writers. And then at one point we, we joke about it, but we kind of like hit a peak and hopefully it gets better from here. But um, Jordan Rodriguez was at the CDT, Megan Ryan was at the Post-Gazette. And then I was at DK at the time. So we had like three female beat writers um, at the time, which was like the most, I think we've definitely, we've ever had in my time here. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm fortunate in that we all on the beat get along really well. Um, and so like the, the older guys, which we always joke about it. Cause on the road, like we'll all go out to dinner. And especially when I was like in my twenties, we'd joke and be like, yeah, the people are probably like, who is this person? Why is she dining out with all these older guys? You know? And so we, we would joke and I'd be like, oh yeah, this, these are like my uncles, you know? And like, it's like, I have an extra, extra set of uh, dads on the road and stuff. Um, but no, I mean, I, the people on this beat, there's so many tremendous people and tremendously kind people. And uh, to me, like, that's, that's a really unique thing because I think, you know, we all hear the horror stories of how some beats operate and how it's like this cutthroat business. I'm like, yeah, we're all competitive, but at the end of the day, this job is crazy. And we all recognize that. And the industry's crazy. And we've all recognized that. And it's just a hell of a lot better if people are just nice and like I genuinely enjoy covering a game with the people in the press box and then you know we'll go out to dinner afterward and have a good time um, but to me like those relationships are really are really special and how many other people understand just how weird our jobs are and how it's like well I'll be at dinner and it's like oh, okay we got to drop this because something just happened and we got to cover it you know like th there's those moments where those people understand it. In terms of going back to the questioning a little bit in relationships with the coach or even sources, yeah, the questions that have probably prompted a, a terse response through the years, my sense is weren't like, when did you stop beating your wife, right? Like they weren't trick questions. They weren't set up questions. Yeah. They were stuff that was pretty straightforward that, and in Coach Franklin said, right, and then yeah. Coach Franklin said it was stick case, will always offer the disclaimer. I know you've got to do your job. I, and, and until he's done offering the disclaimer, he just could have provided a non-answer, right? And been yeah. done. So I guess it's not like 
it's a t you're not being mean to these people right it's just no. the, the mode of the, how they want to control their information right i mean it's really not about what the media is doing for the most part especially on the penn state beat i mean it feels like nobody's playing gotcha no just, this know. isn't like you know the the new york tabloids right like it's like hey we're asking you a question about a player who's hurt and i think and this is where I always try to explain, even to to readers and you know people on Twitter, which sometimes it's a losing battle. We all know that. Um, but what I found really interesting, and I I even found my old tweet and retweeted it. Um, so this year, right when the Sean Clifford knee is banged, ribs, I get rib knee, whatever, wherever, whatever point we were in the season, right? Sean Clifford banged up scenario. Um, everybody, you know armchair quarterbacks on Twitter are all like, you guys need to ask James about this. You guys don't ask it. Whenever it's a loss, it's the beat doesn't ask the difficult questions. You know, most of the other time it's like, Oh, you know, you guys are assholes. We hate you, whatever. Right. And again, this is like not the majority of people, but it's that very small vocal minority that, that you hear from. So the Sean Clifford week, I found a video that I had from years prior when Trace McSorley got hurt and then it went viral because I asked James about Trace's knee injury and he did not like the question and asked me why I always ask him questions that I know he doesn't want to answer and it became like a whole moment. So I found that and the comments on that tweet were from a lot of people that were like, how dare you ask coach this? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I retweeted this and I was like, what do you guys want? Like, literally, we have a job to do. I'm asking the question the same, you know, asked him the same thing several years ago about a different player. But now fans are like, we want the answer. We demand the answer. Like, I I don't understand, you know, how we got there. But I just thought it was a really interesting juxtaposition of, like, I asked this, the coach yells at me, and you then are like, Audrey, this is your problem. You shouldn't do this. Versus, like, you need to ask him the tough questions. Like, I... Sometimes I just cannot figure it out. No, that, that's fair. Do you, do you as a beat, as a group, in your mindset, have a responsibility at all to have anybody else's back? Like if somebody, if somebody asks a question and it's sidestepped by whomever, mm -hmm. uh, probably more often not the head coach, right? But you know it's not happening and you're only going to get one question in that room when it passes along. But you've got a job to do. You're trying to do your stuff. Do you have any responsibility to to follow up on their behalf or try to lob out something similar to to get it? And how do you how do you deal, yeah. especially in your situation, right? You're not writing every day, so you've you know you've got something you probably try to gotta get as opposed to oh, give yeah. away your question. No, I think that as beat writers, like we have an obligation to the audience to ask the questions. And I'll be honest, there were certain times last year where purposely I was like, I'm tired of asking the injury questions. Like somebody else take a crack at it, right? Because like we know he's probably not going to answer it or he's going to be mad about it. And it's to the point where I was like, I'm not writing the day-to-day -day stuff. Like somebody else make him mad. Like I'm tired of doing everyone's job. Right. And so we had a lot of moments like that last year where I was like, I'll just stand here and wait. Cause I've got to ask something totally different. Um, you know, and, and there, oftentimes too, like before practice on Wednesday, we'll stand there and be like, Hey, what are you asking? What are you? And like Mark Brennan and I do that a lot of like, Hey, are you asking question do you want that and Tyler Donahue like well I'll kind of try and divvy these things up um because yeah for for a long while there it was kind of I was like well I guess I gotta ask it but then last year it's like well yeah I don't I don't need to if you know if I don't somebody else will and then um then the whole Parker Washington thing was last year and I wasn't even at practice like I was working on a recruiting story in Philadelphia and then, you know, we all see the rumors and you've got fans saying like, you guys need to ask about this. And I was like, he's not talking again between now and the game. Like we're, this is the information we have is, is what's out there. Penn state's not giving us a statement even pregame when we ask, like there's just certain things that, that they don't, you know, that injuries are one of them. And so you have to kind of figure out how to, how to operate, but it's tough when the audience wants answers that it's like, we can't give you an answer because we don't know it. Um, but yeah, the Parker Washington thing came to mind because fans were again, vocal minority, but there were a lot of people that were just like coming at me from all angles. And I was like, I literally was not even at the practice. Like I couldn't tell you if he was there or not because I wasn't there. I was in Philadelphia, you know? Um, the one thing I wanted to ask about, you're the first beat writer we've had on that 
kind of has grown up in the current era of Penn State football, I would say the last 10 or so years, now 13 or so years. Um, how did the scandal change you as a reporter? That was, so that was my senior year of college. Um, baptism by fire, right? It's like, if, if you can cover that, you can probably cover anything. Um, it was, I say my kind of coming to this beat is interesting because like I'm from Pennsylvania, but I didn't grow up on Penn State. I didn't grow up on college football even. Um, huge NFL fan. You guys know, huge Packers fan. Um, people on Twitter know that. Like th- those three hours on Sunday when they're playing, my editors know, like, do not bother Audrey. Like, not happening. Like, my story will be in before kick and like, let me alone the rest of the day. We're not dealing with it. Um, but you're, you're covering that story and super intimidating. Also, like, there's no playbook on how to cover a scandal, right? Like you can say, oh, I'm going to do a feature story and I can think about this and talk to this person. There's no playbook on how to cover that. Um, And I just remember like leaving my apartment downtown um, and like you'd go to class and then it'd be like, all right, well, here's my book bag. And I have no idea what today's bringing. And like, maybe I'm over here at Joe Paterno's house. Um, One time, so I was freelancing with USA Today at the time of the scandal and one of my assignments, and, you know, again, I tell my students, I was like, hey, this business is intimidating. I had to knock on Jerry Sandusky's front door and ask for comment, right? This is like the early stages when everything's going on. Um, did not, no one answered at the Sandusky home, which I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Cause I was like, I've, once they opened the door, like, can you imagine how much I would have rambled in that setting? Um, but, you know, it, it's. It was also interesting, too, and that, like, Twitter was young, and so I think there were a lot of things. Like, I I just remember, um, like, you're trying to navigate that, and I had just gotten my first iPhone the week of the scandal, too. I posted, right? Like, I posted a video from Joe Paterno's front lawn one of those nights, like, when he came out and, like, the shit's hitting the fan, and I posted a video and the thing goes viral and it ends up on Good Morning American on ESPN. And the funny part was I didn't even know if that video was going to post because I had a phone and had no idea like what I was doing with it. Right. So it's like, oh, I can take videos on this phone now. Wow. Look at this, you know. Um, so it was just like this weird mix of social media. And the thing that was interesting for me was I was student teaching at the time. Um, so like we did, we do half days in the fall semester and then full days that spring. So I was, the school I was at was central mountain, which was obviously attached to the scandal. So I had to, there was one point I had to like protect all my tweets because I'm teaching kids at central mountain. And it's like, I, but here I'm doing this reporting job. Like it was very, it was interesting. So then you're also seeing like, how this scandal is impacting this school and that community. And so, yeah, it, it was a crash course. Um, unlike anything I've ever covered since, hopefully never have to cover something like that again. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of the weird melting pot of social media versus this once in a lifetime story coupled with like, Oh yeah, here's the high school that's also associated with this. Um, do you, is there anything that you take from that era and you still use today? Or is there anything? My iPhone, it, but it's different. It's your iPhone. <laughs> um, gosh, you know, I, I think, so one of the things that are like really, really early on, and I think it's also easy, not easier, but when you look at everything that happened now over a decade ago, I think it's easier to say, oh yeah, like you should have done this. You should have done that. I think what a lot of people don't remember um, is that where we were at, at that point in time, like uh, the example I always use is the first thing I wrote in, you know, that fall, like the week that everything happens. um, The first story that I was assigned was to go to the creamery and find out what they were doing with the ice cream flavors. Like, I mean, and think about how crazy that is, right? Like, here's this big story, but like everybody at that point, everybody's trying to play catch up with Penn Live and the grand jury report. So it's like, where do you even start? 
national outlets couldn't get reporters into town until like that Monday. So here we are that weekend trying to like figure out what to do. Um, and I always use that example because I'm like, here's this crazy story. And like, literally, I had to go talk to the people at the creamery as like my first scandal related assignment. Um, but one of the things that one of my mentors told me early on at that point was like, think about this in terms of Duke lacrosse. Right. Like, don't make any assumptions. And I thought that was really good advice because, you know, obviously things look one way early on. Everybody reads the grand jury report and all that stuff. But it was difficult because you're you're trying to cover it. And then like football's happening and then Joe gets sick. And I remember I was driving out to Ohio State to cover the game and it was like, oh, hey, now the head coach has cancer. And it's like, holy shit, like what else can happen this year? Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was like this crazy chaotic time of like one thing after the next. Um, but I think you take out of that of like, okay, if I can cover that, like I theoretically should be okay. And then you're coming out of college and then you go from that to like applying the jo- to jobs to like cover high school sports. And I applied for a job that would have included rodeo coverage in Wyoming. And it's just like, man, what a, what a wild shift that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talk about a, a lot about mentors, but I think for a lot of people that are younger coming up on the beat, you are a mentor to them and you, you know, you, you continue to do that with your work with, with AWSM, you know, how, how important is that to you and, and why are you so passionate about that, that organization? Yeah. So I, I do. So I was a obviously sports journalism major, Curley Center graduate, but also um, I majored in secondary ed English communication. So came out of here certified to teach seventh through 12th graders English, which like I that was something that I honestly like when I came out of college, I was very torn and like wanted to teach. Like there were many days where I was like, you know what, journalism has been fun, but like I might just go and teach now and never pursue this. And so even that summer, like I went and covered the Olympics with the Curley Center and then came back and was still like, at that point, the decision almost was made for me because I got back in August and it's like schools are starting. So like, I'm not going to get a teaching job and I've been out of the the country for like five weeks. So at this point, like, I guess I'll do the journalism thing. Um, But going into that, I essentially part of why I got my first job is I was at the awesome conference, AWSM, and was talking to a sports editor who was like, oh, hey, by the way, like our writer's leaving. And like, if you're interested, heads up, like our writer's leaving in a, like a month or two. And so like, I learned early on, it's very much a connections-based business, right? And like, you have to form those connections. And so I just kind of started doing that throughout college and throughout, but I had a bunch of internships, all that kind of stuff. But to me, like, I always got back to, like, I want to teach. I want to help people. Like, my dad's a retired elementary school teacher. Um, You know, like, to me, that's really important. So I had some great mentors coming up. Um, I mentioned Lori Shantz. Malcolm Moran is somebody who still talk to regularly. Um, There are just so many people along the way that you think, okay, like, they helped me out way more than they probably should have or ever, like, could have asked for. You know, they just went above and beyond. And so you want to repay some of that. And so I, so, okay. So graduate 2012 by 2013, Lori Shantz and I are like, well, what if we start a, like a local awesome student chapter here? And then we found out there's a bunch of paperwork you have to do at Penn state to like start an organization. And so like, we kind of got through that and you have to like your mission statement, all that stuff. So we did that and then the club started and Emily Kaplan would have been a senior then. So we kind of got the ball rolling. And I remember we would meet like Mondays at Irving's and we'd try to be like, okay, well, are we going to attract new members? Like how many people are we going to get? Cause you know, you're targeting women who want to get into the sports industry, whether it's journalism, whether it's photography, whether it's public relations, like you're casting a wide net. And then finally, like the ball got rolling and you know, the kind of the, the, To me, the greatest thing is that I am able to step away from that now. And really since COVID, especially like I have been very, very hands off within the last few years because they can run themselves now. Right. And so John Affleck does a lot with them. um, And it's like, hey, I'm here if you need me. But now I started teaching in 2016 as an adjunct at Penn State. So I teach two mornings a week. 
which is good because then I can kind of scratch the teaching itch that way and help people that way too. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you get students with different interests and I kind of channel a lot of them to awesome. Cause I was an intern, uh, through AWSM when I was in college. So they had helped like, you know, sponsor me financially to, to go do an internship with MLB.com, which was great. And so, yeah, I'm always trying like mentor a lot of people, give a lot of people feedback. Um, I'll have people email me or say, Hey, like I wrote this story. What do you think about it? You know? So you just, you try to, especially in the off season, it's great to me. Like that's the rewarding part of it. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And now like the cool thing too, is you get people who are out in the actual real world now that it's like, Oh yeah, that's one of my students. And now I'm connecting them with current students and that type of thing. Um, I have, I have two more things. Steve, do you have anything that you, you want to ask about? No, I'm on the edge of my seat. For okay. Two things right. so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Steve, look at that. He's I think, I think, Audrey, submission. I think Audrey might know what one of them is. Um, I have a question. Do you get recognized in public by fans? So my, the running joke, my friends love to give me shit for this. Um, a bunch of my friends from college like to come up to a football game every year. Right. So they, and obviously as like people have gotten older now, it's a little bit different, but um, one of my good friends from college also has a house in, in state college. Right. So now it's like, you guys don't need to worry about a house. You can all crash between our two places. Like you don't have to worry about that aspect of it. Right. But they usually plan a big tailgate. And so a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I was just like, yeah, like obviously game days are really long days for me. So like, I'm not going to go over and drink, but I'll come over and hang out with you guys for a couple hours before I go to work. So I go over and I hang out and my friends like that Friday night, they're giving me shit and they're like, oh yeah, like, are we going out? And people are like, oh, hey, Audrey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And like, they just think this is the funniest thing ever. And I was like, guys, no, like this really does not happen often. I swear. So we get to the tailgate, they're all set up. And sure enough, the people tailgating next to us are like, oh my God, it's Audrey Spider. And I was like, oh no, like this could not be worse timing. And my friends still do not let me live that down. Um, but it does, I mean, again, it's a small town. I'm recognizable in that I'm the only woman on the beat most years, right? So um, it happened like a week or so ago, I was in the grocery store and a guy stopped me in the produce aisle and was like, are you Audrey? And like, what do you think about the quarterback? And I was like, oh man. Um, but I also think too, like, those are some of the really fun interactions because like people care, you know, um, especially if it's a, a Friday and I'm getting on a flight to go cover a game, you'll hear from fans like, Oh, what's your prediction? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, but there've been some creepy ones too, where like, it's like people will come up to you in a bar and like, they'll start asking you questions, but won't be like, Oh, like, are you Audrey? It's just like, I, the it's a very weird conversation or like if I'm having work done in my house, this is a good one. Um, like all of people will come in to like do an estimate or something. And then they'll be like, Oh, so you must be a sports writer. And I'm like, well, no, like, how, like, how would you guess that? Right. Like, so sometimes I'll just kind of play along with that. Uh, but yeah, that happened recently where someone like came to do something in my house and then was like, oh yeah, you're a sports writer. And I was like, I literally have said nothing that would give you that indicator. Like you, so you don't have like land. So the people that came did how you don't have like lanyards hanging somewhere that somebody saw or something. They actually creeped on you before they showed up or something. They must have. Right. Cause I mean, otherwise, like how do you, maybe like, maybe they follow me on Twitter or something. Cause otherwise I'm like, I don't know how you would know. You know what I mean? Like yeah, how yeah. you do this. Um, I mean, it is the smallest town in America. You're right. The it first is. part, like it, it's, it is that way, which is both good and bad. Oh yeah. And it is, it's funny too. Cause like my neighborhood, it's a lot of Penn state fans. A lot of people in my neighborhood, these are like their football houses. Um, and so for a good while I had it great. Cause nobody really knew like what I did. And so I just kind of like, Oh, whatever. Like my close neighbors knew, but now pretty much everyone in my neighborhood knows what I do. So that's hilarious too. Cause they'll be like, Oh, like, what are your thoughts on this? But then, a bunch of them go to quarterback clubs. So I'll be like, well, what did you hear at quarterback club? You <laughs> know? Say, work your sources. But, it, but it, it is, it's like, it's the classic small town, you know, which is fun. Like to me, that's always the thing is like, just don't be creepy. Just come up, say hello. And like, you'll find out that I'm super boring right away. And then you'll go on with your evening. <laughs> You're great. I, I love having a conversation with you. Um, okay. I think you know what's coming. It's my, it's the question that is, we've talked about plenty of times. Audrey, do you know where the statue is? I don't. Honest to God, I do not. Um, okay. 
I have some ideas though. Okay. I, the ideas have been spinning in my head about where it might be. Um, I think I pretty sure um, I am working on a story following up what I wrote a few years ago. Is it 2020? Yeah. Almost three years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm any closer to finding it now, but I do think there have been some really interesting leads. Um, and that going back to like people coming up to you and talking and stuff, that might be like the most asked question people give me is like, Audrey, do you know where the statue is? Have you found it? And then I always am like, cause I, I don't know where it is, but I'll always say to them like, well, what do you think? Like, what have you heard? Cause I mean, it's again, it's this small enough town where people occasionally do tell you things that are really interesting or really insightful or good or helpful. Um, but yeah, I had to laugh cause I, I, I've gotten some, like, there was a, God, this was funny. I had launched a, an email account for the statue when the story ran at the bottom. Right. And so people still, which I should go in and check. I haven't looked in a few months, but people email me tips from time to time about it. Someone also a few years ago when it launched had LeVar Arrington on cameo and asked LeVar on cameo if he knew where the statue was. And they sent me the video. (laughs) So like, it's just, it's morphed into this awesome thing of like group journalism where I'm like, what do you like, can you guys help me with this? Cause I'm convinced I will not find it on my own. Why do you think you're the anointed one? I, you know, and so that to me was the funny thing because like, obviously anybody could do a story about where's the statue, right? Like anybody. And I, I guess I was the only one maybe dumb enough during COVID or bored (laughs) enough during COVID to be like, Oh, let's actually dig into it. Um, it's also funny because you guys know, like, I'll tweet out all the 409 things. Um, and that actually, that started because when I would have friends in town who didn't go to state college, they'd be like, what's up with 409? Like, what is the deal with this? And so I always just like, because you just being here so long, you just, it's one of those things you assume everyone knows what it is. But people from like other teams, other campuses, like, you know, no affiliation with Penn State, they're like, why the hell do people have 409 other bumper stickers? Like, why is it on a napkin at a bar? Why is it on t-shirts? <laughs> and so like, I kind of, I go with that route, which also kind of plays in well with the statue thing, because it's, you know, you're trying to 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 add to the conversation that way. And it's become one of the good things. Now I have people send me their 409s that they see all the time. I had somebody um, last week who was on like vacation in Poland, send me that their room number was 409 amazing no uh, i'm collecting 409s from all over the world now. that's that's amazing no you are usually when i see that number come up 99 of the time my second thought after that is i gotta tell Audrey because it's just like <laughs> and it's she'll just enjoy it's it funny like it, it's harmless it's funny it's yeah. one of those things that it's just like you know you'll see the number in so many and like once you're looking for it now you just see it in so many random places and now you can't unsee it mm-hmm. um and even people who've moved on and left the beat they will text me 409 so like we saw this and thought of you and i was like oh my god this is my lasting legacy here a random number right uh, not random hilarious. but seemingly random to yeah, that's that is great no it has value it's the community it's the piece of, you know it's the same thing with the statue you know somebody some guy from opp knows where it's at because he because he he drove the the forklift to put it where it was right it oh, was yeah. just a matter of, of stumbling over that person right so when the story when the story goes out though you need an animation with you like a in an indiana jones hat right as, as the lead art for the thing but no I, it's a it's just one of those things where it's it's so and like of course the I, here's the other thing too so many times because again i live not far from 12 minutes from the stadium um every time I go past the stadium at night, like, you know, you always hear about players and stuff and people are seeing ghosts when they're on the field and the pastors, like that is me when I drive by the stadium at night. And like, I go past the suites and I'm like, Oh my God, is that the statue? And it's not, it's like a shadow from a plant. And it's that I am totally seeing ghosts when I drive past there. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've like stopped and like looked again and yeah, just thinking like, you know, there, somebody is trolling me within the university. I have no doubt. Oh, that's great. That that makes my day. All right. We have some some fast questions to ask you before okay. we hop off. They're very quick. Just uh your first question is what is your go-to creamery ice cream flavor? I 
I'm not a huge ice cream person, but wow. I guess it would be bittersweet mint. Okay. All right. Um, what is the best dorm area at Penn State? Well, most of them aren't renovated, but the ones that are renovated, I guess, are nice. But I lived in Pollock freshman year. So, so that's kind of like sentimental. So Pollock is your default answer. And you, you're, I think, the first person that we've asked this question to. So it probably won't pair as well as it usually does. But um, you're back in State College for one night and one night only. What bar are you stumbling into? Um, I am going because it, it's because I go there all the time. I'm going to Champs, but not downtown. The, the, the OG Champs, the yeah. much better superior Champs. That's the correct uh, yeah. answer. Okay. I mean, because the other one's just Chili's, right? If we're yeah. being honest. No, I mean, that's it's fantastic, but it's Chili's. It's a renovated mm-hmm. Chili's. That's all it is. Audrey, um, what do you have to plug before we say goodbye? Uh, whatever, whatever I come up with this spring. Uh, no, the wrestling story, I think, and even if you're not, because this is what I found out with wrestling, right? Either you're hardcore in it, in the weeds, or you're just intrigued by how in the world this dynasty has started. I think the story can kind of interest both segments of that, right? Whether you're a hardcore wrestling fan or just casual um, that's something I'm really excited about because again, I think there's, there's details in the story that I think you're going to say, oh my, like how did Penn state maybe almost not pull this off? Um, which I think is, is a good tease for it. So that I'm excited about. And then, um, God, we have, so I've got a lot of stuff planned already out for like summer and bigger projects that we want to get into. So Keep checking out The Athletic. Um, again, subscribe if you don't, because I know there's a lot of places you can get your Penn State information from, um, but we're trying to always do do stuff differently there. So that's that's the plug, Darian. That's the plug. Well, thank you very much for spending an hour with us to discuss the location of the Joe Paterno statue. In and I still don't know where it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, seriously. Thank you, Audrey. This was awesome. Um, stuff. We will talk to you soon. Yeah, you got thank it. You. Take care, guys. See ya. Steve, I had to ask about the statue. Like, I wasn't not having her on the podcast. It wasn't. It was great. And um, it has legs. Like, I'm, I, it, it, you know, something she wants. The statue has legs. And the story has legs. So, yeah, uh, it can happen yeah. again. <laughs> the statue has legs. That was good. Um, that was some of your better work. Um, let me just say, like, I think, I, I think a couple of things about Audrey. First off, I, I think I read Audrey more than any other beat writer um, on the Penn State beat, um, mainly because just I consistently enjoy getting lost in the stories that she tells. I think that's the one thing that that makes her great. Um, But I think the other thing that I appreciate that probably maybe not the average fan would appreciate just is how much Audrey cares about kind of the next generation of reporters. Um, And she kind of alluded to there. She was always great when we were at the collegian, you had a question you needed to pick a brain. She was always one of the first phone calls that was happy to kind of pick up and, and, and chat through. So that was, it was, I, I did not know that about her uh, having a, a, a teaching degree as well. So that kind of checks out. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that, that, that resonated a little bit with me was, you know, her talking about that we took about the injury question and, and people always asking the questions. I, I did notice this past year that she wasn't asking those questions, right? Like more every time. And she was that every time person because people weren't asking them. They were kind of deferring to her and she's like, somebody else ask it and and i thought that was a wise move on her part and i thought she talked about what she did last season working around things and and not being at certain places and planning for stuff and even what she's got planned going forward coming through this spring and summer already she said she's got some plans for some stuff which i'm excited about because i don't know that everybody has a plan i think they sometimes show up and say what do you feed me today penn state and and they write their stories so i'm I'm excited when somebody tries to set that agenda themselves a little more and i think that's partly what made the difference. I, and I didn't, it maybe didn't click in my head. I, I had noticed it subconsciously last season that that was, that she was not kind of taking the normal path to what she was writing, uh, what she had written before, um, or even just kind of the normal everyday Penn State beat writer. I, but I think once she said that and kind of reminded that, yeah, it clicked. And and I think that is, this is going to sound like an ad for The Athletic, but that is truly one of the reasons why I, I do spend so much time reading The Athletic. You don't have to go there and read 
you're, you know, you, you can get that news and those quick things, but you don't have to, and, and, and it's not thrown in your face uh, more so than, you know, other outlets do. And there's nothing wrong with that. They, they, like Audrey said, they provide a valuable service. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately um, for me, the other, the other interesting thing with Audrey is how, you know, she was the first guest we've had on that really covered the scandal, um, or at least that can talk about covering the scandal. Um, and, you know, the, the wisdom and advice that she got from, uh, from that and, and is, is passing on, but also keeping near and dear to her. Um, that is, as long as journalism never, this is going to sound preachy, but as long as journalism never loses that, I think, you know, there will be, Audrey Snyder's in the world, I guess, would be the best way to say that. I think that's true. I don't think that's a fair assessment. All right. Um, like I said, just a pretty focused episode this time around because we gave you a, a another episode talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, Steve, we have, this is going to be, we're actually recording this before we recorded the previous episode. So this is the first time we're doing the new outro. Are you ready? Oh, like, uh, on the edge of my seat again. Okay. Steve. We have a podcast. You just listened to it. It's called The Stuff Summer Says Show with Steve. Okay, great. Steve, we also have a blog now. It's stuffsummersays.com. You have your own part of the website. It's called With Steve. With Steve. That's right. I'm and right all over the place. Yeah, there you go. I'm proud of you. Uh, we have Twitter handles. That's not changing. It's, uh, mine's at Stuff Summer Says. Yours is uh, Steve Samsel. Uh, but what is changing, we have a new email. It's podcast at stuffsummersays.com. That's podcast at stuffsummersays.com. All of those emails you sent us, all three of them. I don't even think we've gotten three. All two of them. Keep sending them in. We appreciate them. Uh, other than that, five stars, thumbs up. Anything else? Going once, twice? Sold. Sold.